How's it going, everyone? This is Joe from The Muster Room. Before you dive into this episode, we have a quick update for you. We're proud to announce that we're officially teaming up with Law Enforcement Officers Weekend, a nationally recognized 501c3 nonprofit whose mission hits home with all of us here at The Muster Room. This integration will help us create better content for you while also helping line-of-duty families and injured officers across the country. Just by listening to this episode, you're helping contribute to our ongoing mission to help the members of the law enforcement community. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Muster Room. I'm Detective Joseph Ryder and with me is police officer Austin Glickman and retired Detective Eric Potts. Together, we have over 50 years of experience as first responders and law enforcement officers. In this podcast, we break down the life-altering incidents with the first responders and veterans that experience them and discuss the toll these incidents have in the days, weeks, and years afterward. Before we begin, I want to advise you that the incidents discussed in this episode are real and traumatic. Listener discretion is advised. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to yet another episode of the Muscle Room Podcast. Uh, of course, as always, I am here with the lovely Joseph Ryder behind the scenes. Uh, <laughs> of course, and again, Eric Potts, unfortunately, wasn't able to be here today. He's our other co-host. Unfortunately, he caught a flat tire. But in reality, uh, he's actually a New Jersey, retired New Jersey uh, officer. And um, when he heard Port Authority, PBA was going to be here, he said he's not coming. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Eric, uh, he gave himself a flat tire. Yeah, he slashed his own tire. Um, so it's understandable. Yeah, unfortunately, Port Authority probably had to go help him out. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, right. Port Authority bailing everybody out. So uh, we are here with Bobby Egbert, the Port Authority PBA PIO, long history in law enforcement. And we're going to get into all of that very very soon. Uh, Bobby, welcome to the Muscle Room Podcast. Great to be here. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. And of course, a huge shout out to the Nassau County Police Department for allowing us to host the episode here at their beautiful brand new uh, academy and intelligence center. And it is, if I could say, phenomenal. It, I, I, when I walked in here, I just couldn't believe it. I've never seen a law enforcement facility like this. Yeah, it is. It is truly beautiful. Um, just opened up, I think, a few months ago. Uh, I think they're still doing a little work here and there. But uh, I had the ability to walk around a little bit, and it's it's gorgeous. And uh, I'm sure the cops absolutely love it. So, again, sh- huge shout out to uh, Patrick Ryder, who we'll be interviewing actually later today as well, uh, the commissioner for Nassau County Police Department. So, Bobby, let's jump right into it. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into law enforcement, and let's go through your career. Well, I, uh, I'm retired now, retired 10 years, retired in uh, 2013, January 2013. I was a Port Authority police officer for 27 years. Um, majority of that time, I uh, was also a, a PBA rep. I was a delegate, a trustee, and a chairman of the trustees. Uh, I came to law enforcement a little bit later in life. I was 34 years old when I joined the Port Authority PD. I was in the financial industry prior to that. And I, you know, it came to the point where I guess I was a little bit burnt out and I wanted to do something that I thought would be more important to what I was doing. And I was fortunate enough, uh, Port Authority PD was the only test I took, uh, competed with like about 50,000 other people. Everybody wants the Port Authority and, job. Uh, uh, and yet, well, and you didn't realize it at the time until you showed up at the tests and you said, like. God, this is you know how ridiculous, you know, and you know, uh, 
Port Authority PD was a, a bit smaller back then, probably about the half the size it is now. Um, but when you have 50,000 people show up for a test, you realize, no, no way this is going to happen. Fortunately, I made it through everything. You know, never knew anybody on the, you know, nothing whatsoever. You know, my list numbers came out high and I, you know, I, I was able, I got a letter of saying I was uh, being appointed to the academy. So I went. We call it the golden ticket. <laughs> the so golden ticket. For those of, of you who are listening in law enforcement, if you're Nassau, Suffolk, NYPD, essentially any agency in the New York metropolitan area, when you hear that you got on the job with Port Authority, they call it the golden ticket. Well, there's another side to that, too, though. <laughs> I'm sure Austin, there is. Uh, because you've heard this comment also. Once you get on the job, you get through the academy, and and uh, you remember how it was. Oh, you're happy. Every day you go to work, you can't wait to get to work. But you kept hearing senior guys talk about the 20-year nightmare. Hmm. And it didn't take long. It didn't take long to realize, mm-hmm, no one really cares about you on this job. Most of important, not even your own agency. Yeah. <laughs> now, I always told uh, my cops, uh, always remember, if you buy it on your post today, God forbid, yeah, they're going to give you a nice funeral. No question about that. But what's going to be on your post tomorrow doing the same thing? Another blue suit. Yeah. The pieces are interchangeable. Yeah. And we'll get into that, I think, towards the end of the podcast, yeah. um, because that that's a problem, not just with Port Authority. That's a problem with every agency throughout the entire country. Um, and that's part of the issue as to why the, the manpower is so low throughout the, the United States. And of course, there's many other reasons, uh, especially with everything that's been going on in the past few years. But we'll get into that aspect of law enforcement in just a few minutes. Um, before we continue, we also have a lot of listeners who are viewing from across the country and even other parts of the world. Explain to them to the best that you can what the actual Port Authority is. Because it's confusing, even to those of us in New York. Many of us don't fully comprehend what it is, what it does, and how the Port Authority Police Department operates. So if you can kind of just get into that a little bit. Well, the Port Authority Police Department is the law enforcement arm of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. It's a bi-state agency. Uh, and basically, it's a transportation agency. If you want something built, uh, Port Authority will do it. It's great. Builds airports, rail systems, seaports, everything. Uh, these facilities need policing. So when the Port Authority was formed, uh, and it was actually formed almost 100 years ago uh, through a, uh, a bi-state compact, um, the Port Authority PD was formed. The Port Authority PD is unique in the sense that uh, police officers get their authority from the state. Port Authority police officers get their authority from two states, New Jersey and New York. It doesn't matter which one you work in, you're sworn in both states. So it's, it is it is unique in law enforcement. Uh, I, I'm sure there are some other departments that have that that bi-state jurisdiction. I think MTA does it too with Connecticut, New York, right? Connecticut, yeah. Yeah, I think they're a little bit different though. They, they don't have sworn status, but I, but I don't know. I shouldn't even speak of that. Uh, um, Port Authority PD is the largest transportation-related police department in the country. Currently is probably about 2,500 uh, members. Um, and it, it patrols uh, the most terror-targeted uh, sites in the New York metropolitan region. And, and we've paid the price for that too. So it's uh, but it's a great, it's a great police department. It's uh, but it goes, you know, it, I always say 
um, uh, they don't make movies about the PAPD. They make movies about the NYPD and the LAPD. Uh, but that's okay because we work with what I call a quiet confidence. We know what we're doing and we do the job well. I have to give credit to where credit is due. Uh, of course, as all of our listeners know, Joe and I and many others from the podcast are part of Law Enforcement Officers Weekend, which is the National 501c3 nonprofit. We've been around since 2017. And since our inaugural year, we've worked with many agencies across the United States. Port Authority, hands down, is by far the best organization that we work with. Anytime we ask for something from the Port Authority, whether it be the PBA or the department themselves, we've never been told no. They always bend over backwards for what we do, um, whether it's meeting families of fallen officers at the airports and you know escorting them off the flights or uh, participating in uh, escorts uh, as we do our motorcycle rides or giving us facility usage for whatever it may be. It's always a yes. One year, think about it in the first or second year when we were working with the Port Authority down at the Trade Center, um, there was a lieutenant. I won't name who it was, uh, but one of the lieutenants who we could work closely with. And I brought the same thing to his attention. I said, the Port Authority, by far, hands down, best organization we work with. And he goes, you want to know why? And I go, why? He goes, because we are always overshadowed by the NYPD. He goes, everyone always knows the NYPD, every single movie, every book, television show, of course, NYPD. Nobody knows about the Port Authority. So when we have the opportunity to showcase what we do and what we can do, we're going to take that opportunity. And he was 100% right. Uh, and the Port Authority, again, hands down, by far the best. So shout out to Port Authority. Shout out to your superintendent and you know all the chiefs and, and, and the higher ups that allow us to do it in the first place. And a huge shout out to the PBA. And we're going to get into that in a moment. But again, the PBA from Port Authority has supported us both financially and physically every time we've asked for help. And you guys are just amazing people. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, another uh, reason for that is uh, – the Port Authority PD was decimated on September 11th. Uh, we lost 37 cops that day. Whenever I speak with people, I, I talk about the first responders that that were lost that day. And, and you can't speak about them without obviously talking about that unimaginable number, 343 uh, fire, New York City firefighters. Um, but we were the smallest agency, but we were the first of the first responders because we had a precinct and always had a precinct right at the World Trade Center. Um, 37 officers out of a department that time that numbered probably 1,100 is quite a bit. Significant number. The response from the nation, from the populace, from other law enforcement agencies, other first responders, to the needs of not only the Port Authority, the NYPD, the FDNY, was overwhelming. We have never forgotten that. And when I say we, I'm talking about the Port Authority PBA. I'm not in a position to speak for the department. but And we have made it our mission to pay back whenever we can. Uh, give you an example. Currently, right now, it's the 10-year anniversary of the, the Boston Marathon. Today. Bombing, yes. Yeah. Uh, our uh, special services cantina is up there in Boston. Fantastic. Providing uh, relief spots for the uh, first responders up there. And we've been up there uh, every year since the Boston bombing for that. As a matter of fact, in the aftermath of the Boston bombing, 
uh, we went right up there to assist and help. Uh, and we were in Watertown when, when all the shooting and, mm-hmm. and, and the uh, two suspects, uh, well, the one was captured and one was killed. Um, but we'll never forget the, the help we received afterwards. And I think that has a lot to do with how we respond. And, and though I can't speak for the department, I know at the higher levels, they feel the same way. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Um, again, everything that we've done, it's always a yes. And I know it's not just our organization. It's many, many other organizations that are out there that are doing really great things. And the Port Authority is always, always a a yes person. Yes, man. Um, and I think you're hundred percent correct. I think we kind of saw the same thing. I was a volunteer firefighter for the city of Long Beach Fire Department. And after Hurricane Sandy, all the help that we got uh, that came down for the weeks and months afterwards, we always were so grateful for that help that uh, we always said, if there's ever another emergency, we want to be the ones to help others. And we did for many, many years. Hurricanes were hitting, of course, across the country. There was a massive one in Texas. There was a big one, I think, down in the Carolinas. And we raised tens of thousands of dollars, and we sent truckloads down there. We had firefighters that went down to help out. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And I can only imagine what it was like being a police officer, whether, you know, with the PBA or the department, and being stuck in a hellhole of 9-11. And then all of the support that came from across the country for those months or really years and all the support that you continue to get day in and day out. You know, being able to express and 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 help other uh, companies or organizations or departments. I mean, it, it shows a hundred percent. You know, you mentioned Super uh, Storm Sandy. Um, I'm reminded um, during that, and and we have commands in just about every borough in New York. Uh, but the initial first responders, certainly the NYPD and the FDNY. We had chiefs, including our chief of department, walking the streets day after day in Staten Island, helping the residents. What do you need? And then getting our assets there to help them. Mm-hmm. And and again, that's all part of payback. All right, you helped us. We're here to help you. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's fantastic. Right. So, Bobby, let's let's get a little bit more into uh, your career and how you became a PIO for the PBA because that's that's pretty interesting. So. What year did you actually get on the job with Port Authority? Uh, 1986. So you go from 86 and you retired in? 2013. 2013. So you, you did about a uh, 20, 27. 20, it was 26 and eight, nine months. So I'm going to say 27, right? Yeah. So 27 years in law enforcement. Right. Um, you were a union delegate? Delegate, trustee, and then chairman of the trustees. For how, how long of your career? For a oh, More than half of it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's a long time. So. Yeah. Just real quick, can you explain what the PBA does? Because, again, a lot of our, our listeners, they don't have PBAs in their departments. They're, they're part of the FOP. So if you can, just kind of explain what the PBA does and, and what you do for the cops. Well, uh, number one, uh, we're the bargaining unit, uh, where the PBA represents the rank of police officer in the Port Authority PD. Uh, currently, I think it's uh, probably 1,800 members, uh, rank of police officer. They're the ones that do the work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so, you know, it's the collective bargaining aspect. It's negotiating with the agency uh, uh, to get successor agreements in place. Uh, but that's not the only thing a union has to do. You have to represent your members 
uh, with uh, providing certain benefits for them and representation. Um, sometimes cops need representation uh, on, well, look, disciplinary matters. Um, you know, when I was working, uh, I used to say that, boy, the job hands out 10-day rips. Rips would be a suspension. Uh, a 10-day rip might be a... For, depending on the cop, a four to $5,000 penalty. I used to say, we can commit, you commit homicide in the city and not be fined that much money, you know? And yeah. it's for a minor infraction, mm -hmm. all right? Uh, well, the PBA is also the one who has to come to your defense for that. Uh, in any hearing, you know, uh, uh, trial board uh, for minor and sometimes major discipline too. Mm -hmm. you know, that's an issue. Um so it's, it's a full representation of the membership, their needs, their family needs. Um, then there's the work rules that are involved. The uh, the contract, uh, our contract is almost like the size of a, a phone book. And the agency uses that when they argue about overtime costs and everything. Let's face it, you know, overtime it's because you just don't have enough cops. All right, that's an agency decision. That's a, a business tool that they use. Uh, they've said many times it's cheaper to pay overtime than to pay for new additional cops. But um, work rules are part of the contract. The contract is a bilateral agreement, not a unilateral agreement. So I always reminded the Port Authority and in my job as the PIO, I remind the media, everything in that contract is also the will of the Port Authority. No one held a gun to their head. And when I talk about this, I'm talking about all contracts, what, you know, other agencies, anything. Contracts are bilateral. So it's the representation of our members and making sure they and their families are treated fairly. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think I'm going to say the right thing here, the PBA probably deals with politics more than anything else. Am I, am I right by saying that? Yeah, absolutely. So for the most part, right, probably 99% of all law enforcement, fire department, EMS agencies across the United States deal with just their little union and their county or city or state. Port Authority, on the other hand, is dealing with two states, multiple counties, multiple jurisdictions. How do, how do you deal with it? How do you even start? Well, uh, it's a delicate balance. Um, and yes, you, you, you can't escape the political aspect uh, that uh, any organization has to deal with, particularly a public organization. Um, now, for example, if I can use your job, the NYPD, uh, the, NY, uh, the New York City PBA has to deal with the city council uh, and the mayor and his his crew. Uh, and, and that's the way things normally go through. If anything you want to push forward, anything you want to progress on, whether it be a contract, work rules, um, I mean, even as simple as uh, uniforms and, and equipment. Uh, within the, the Port Authority, the, the PBA has to deal with very similar aspects we have a, uh, a chairman of the commissioner of the Port Authorities. That's the top civilian, uh, the executive director, uh, the board of commissioners. So that's equal to your mayor and council and things like that. Uh, once they approve everything, 
Then it has to go to the governor of New York and the governor of New Jersey. And sometimes they're totally opposite, put different political parties. Uh, uh, doesn't happen that often in New York and New Jersey, but, uh, but, uh, and we have to learn how to deal with both sides of the river, if I can put it that way. Right. Um, and they're completely different entities. They're, they're, uh, the way they look at things are different. Uh, a governor has to do what's best for the people of his state. And, uh, that may not be the same as the governor in the other state. Yeah. So you have to learn how to balance that. Uh, we have a robust legal staff, uh, and that gets involved in that. Um, but the, the leadership of the PBA has to, they have to be very astute when it comes to that. Yeah. And, um, and it's very important to move things along. And sometimes it takes a while. I'm sure it does. Now, uh, you started in, in 1986. At what point did you? St- I, and um, I know prior to us going on the air, you told us that you had a background in, in, in journalism, which is how you kind of walked yourself into the the realm of being a PIO. Which, for those who don't know, it's a public information officer. What year did you start actually working with the media on the PBA side? Oh boy. Um- well, when you said I have background in journalism, I, my degree is in journalism, and and my work experience was for a split second. So, um, so I can say for a split second I was a journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you know, it's something you know you, your training and education never really leaves you. Uh, I always felt that uh, people needed to um, know the good work Port Authority cops do each day in New York and New Jersey. Uh, the agency uh, has a media relations department, and and their main focus is the operations of the Port Authority. It's running their facilities. It's uh, the building, the engineering. Um, uh, if you want to know about Port Authority bond offerings and, and things like that, you know, they can answer all those questions. They were not really up to par on the police issues. And and there was a time when they really never had anybody assigned to the police issues. And that caused a lot of uh, frustration in the local media, New York and New Jersey. Um, so I guess it was uh, – it had to be the, the late 90s um, – and then certainly after September 11th. So that's what I was getting at. I wanted to yeah. see if were you the PIO during the September 11th attacks? Uh, no, I, I didn't become the official PIO until I retired. Mm-hmm. The work I did before that was uh, that gray area. Yeah. <laughs> Wearing multi- multiple hats essentially yes, for the PBA. Yes. yes. Um, uh, it, 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 I, I remember we would set up interviews with local TV reporters and the, the president at the time of the union was a, a long, our longest serving president, Gus Denise, who's, who's passed. Um, and he would show up in the office and we'd have a news crew in there and he had no idea what was going on. And, and yeah, rightfully so. He'd be pissed off. I mean, he's, he's the president, but we would inform him of, you know, 
this issue, that issue. And it was something he was certainly in line with. And he would sit down for the interview. So, you know, we, we were doing things like that, almost guerrilla tactics, mm-hmm. even within our own organization. Uh, but we needed to get this stuff out there. Um, we needed the public to know what we did. We needed to know where the agency was failing uh, when it came to public safety. What, what we thought, uh, and the majority of the work we did, resulted in in good things happening, corrections, better uh, response. And we see that in, in other agencies too. You know, it's usually the unions that bring these things forward. Um, and so they, you know, I, I kept doing that work. It wasn't part of my elected responsibilities, but I kept doing that. Uh, I developed the contacts with the media uh, simply by just calling, you know, and introducing myself. Um, a reporter will always talk with you, especially if you're from law enforcement. And um, what type of stories were you trying to push out in particular? To the- well, uh, a lot of them had to do with. Um, lack of policing of certain aspects of the Port Authority. Now, for example, they built this rail system at John F. Kennedy Airport called the Air Train, and it runs out to Jamaica Station and all that, and it was not policed. Well, we always... Now, remember, the Port Authority PD uh, has always been terror-target-focused. 1975, LaGuardia Airport, uh, bomb blew up in the Central Terminal Building, killed, uh, I think, 11 people, horribly wounded numbers of others. Um, During my time, there was a a bomb exploded at the old Pan Am Building terminal at uh, at Kennedy Airport. Obviously, the 93 bombing of the World Trade Center and uh, obviously 9-11. Um, we were very, uh, the union was very serious about this. Uh, and we viewed the, the air train as certainly necessary. We, we needed that, uh, uh, the region needed it. No question about it. Um, the, the air train, uh, at one point actually went into terminal four and actually stopped right below the LL section. We just viewed it as a bomb delivery system, you know, and so, you know, we brought that forward. So this is an unpoliced system, transportation system. Um, and, and we arranged for reporters to ride the trains and, and film things. And that we were successful in getting that changed, uh, making that a patrolled, you know, train, uh, just like our path system, uh, uh, train patrol and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I think, uh, you know, a uniform is a deterrent. There's no question about it. And not just to the, the things I'm talking about, terrorism, to any type of crime. Right. All right? And, and how do we know it? Because when, we, when these spots aren't covered, crime does happen. And, and, uh, and then we bring that out. <laughs> we, we, you know, so... A lot of people say it's self-serving. It's because we just want to keep the work and all that. Yeah, that's one of the things the union does to protect the work uh, of its of its members. But uh, but 
uh, a law enforcement uh, union is, is different than other unions. So we, we understand the seriousness of, of what we do. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I want to kind of circle back to what you said just a few minutes ago, that the Port Authority is the most territorial agency, right, in the world. or Well, well country, we'll say. In the country. In, in the country. Say, yeah. um, multiple terror attacks since, we'll say, you know, 75, since yeah. you, you started. Uh, four that, that we could name off the top of our head. Two major ones being the 93 bombing. Yeah. And then, of course, September 11th. When you look at September 11th in the grand scheme of things, right, at, you know, if you're looking from the, the 50,000 foot view, everyone says that, well, New York City in particular was attacked. But if you start looking at it more individualized, it's really that the entire uh, complex of the Port Authority in lower Manhattan, which was the, uh, uh, the, the, the trade center complex, was attacked. And that in particular is Port Authority. How does how how does it make the Port Authority, in particular the PBA, operate, knowing that they're the number one terror target in the United States? How do you as the PIO handle that, you know, day-to-day that it could happen again? How, how, how does that like how do how do you train for that? How how do you prepare something like that? Well, uh I was a first responder on September eleventh. Um, it's, uh, a counselor explained to me once, uh, I said, you know, I don't understand these people who want to take ownership, you know, the closeness of it, you know, and you know what I'm talking about. The, uh, I said, I, I want to get as far away as I can from it. And this counselor told me, well, unfortunately it's, it happened to you. It's never going to leave you. And you have to accept that. Mm-hmm. Probably the best gift I ever got out of nine 11, the gift of acceptance. All right. I was there. I saw what happened, uh, survived that day. Um, we'll never forget that. Uh, it. Uh, I've always felt guilty. I'm getting a little bit off here, but I remember after the second building came down, uh, I knew right away, every Port Authority cop knew it was terrorists before they even got on scene. Because uh, that was a part, we, we know we went out every day on patrol with a target on our back. Um, even though the radio reports, the media reports were talking about other things, they weren't really talking about terror. Every Port Authority cop knew what it was. Um, so when the second tower came down, I was on West Street right at that site, and I knew we were going to war, uh, and it was probably going to involve my children and two of my sons went in the military, a Marine, and my oldest son, who's actually a Green Beret, um, went in. I've always felt guilty about that because of the career path I chose. It affected them. Because 9-11, and I think for anyone who was involved, 9-11 runs through your family now. Mm-hmm. You can't get rid of it. Um, my youngest son, Marine, for eight years, he was wounded in Afghanistan. Um, he's fine today. Uh, but I've always, always felt like I had something to do with that because if I hadn't chose the career that I chose, it wouldn't have evolved them and they wouldn't have been exposed to these horrors that they went through. Um, one thing the Port Authority PBA will not let happen is 
let the agency forget what happened. And so we have to be a voice for that all the time. We have to let them know uh, that if they, if their uh, patrol plan is something we can't agree with, we don't run the police department, but we do, we do have things to say. All right. And we say, well, you know, remember this, remember that we don't think that this is appropriate. This is, un, you know, and, and, and normally that doesn't happen. Uh, the, the, the difficulty with police departments, you know, they're labor intensive, as you know, and there's never enough labor. So what does that mean? It means you go down spots, spots that should be covered or not covered. I'm sure you see it on your job. And, and, and that sends chills through union leadership because you know what can happen. Now, September 11th was not a Port Authority problem, was not a New York City problem. It, it was the failure, incredible failure of American intelligence. We know that. All right. Um, the uh, the aftermath, though, should be our responsibility now to 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 keep it from happening again. And and I, you know, it's been twenty one years, twenty two years now. Um, nothing's happened. Uh, again, I go back to my my two sons. The the military I was in, which was in during Vietnam, was not a good military. Um, everybody that was in the military didn't want to be there. You were either drafted or you were in another branch because you didn't want to get drafted and you were fortunate enough to get in another branch. It was, it was not a good military. Um, the military we have today, when I used to go visit my sons at the different postings, the, uh, when I see these young men and women and I see this steely reserve in their eyes, they're doing what they want to do. This is all a result of our country being attacked. Um, I, I hope that stays with us. I hope our police departments and law enforcement agencies keep that, uh, remain proactive, remain uh, committed to, uh, you know, that what, what they say they do, protect the public, but protecting the public in a police department, there's that financial balance too, and uh, and that's that's the big you know elephant in the room is can they afford to do this? So the union has to remind them, say, hey, no, you need guys there, you need them, you know, you need police officers there, you need something there. So speaking I, of, the- I have a quick question. So in New York City, a big emphasis is paid on the responders to 9-11 and the health effects that they're facing currently. How has the PBA for Port Authority um, addressed the health needs of your members who were at 9-11, who were on Ground Zero, and how are your members doing 20 plus years out? The NYPD has lost triple, quadruple the number of officers that we lost on 9-11. How is the Port Authority handling this with your membership? Uh, 
the, the PBA is very active in that. We've certainly lost a lot of members through uh, cancers um, and things like that. Um, uh, matter of fact, we just, uh, uh, one of them is going on the wall this year down in the, the National uh, Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Wall. I forgot the exact number, how many are on there, but uh, I don't think we, we're, we're yet at 37 to match the number. Um, but we're getting pretty close to that. And these are, you know, ha have been classified as 9-11 illnesses. The PBA, um, once we become aware of a person suffering, uh, we make sure all their paperwork is done. We make sure uh, everything that needs to be set up. We assist their family in every way. Just in case the worst happens. So we're very proactive when it comes to that. Um, we encourage people to be part of the uh, monitoring and testing programs. Um, but other than that, you can't really do much more. You, you can't, a PBA a union can't demand its members do certain things when it comes to their personal health or this or that. Um, the... Uh, our office, the Port Authority's Office of Medical Services uh, monitors these things also. But it's, it's, the PBA is mostly involved in assisting the families, making sure everything is filed, making sure all the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, uh, so, so the family doesn't uh, have any issues going forward with, or, with the medical care, with and the in many cases, the end-of-life care and, and, the, uh, and the benefits do that family um, if the person passes on. I have one final question for you before we get towards the end of this uh, show. And it's, uh, it's a heated topic, um, and it deals with conspiracy theories. This is a question that I brought up <clears throat> a few months ago. Uh, we interviewed uh, uh, Will Jimeno and Scott Strauss and some of the heroes from 9-11. And we also spoke with the staff at the museum. And we were doing actually a live stream on uh, my, my TikTok account. And I can't tell you how many flooded questions we had in particular. People are trolls. And they ask these questions on purpose to try to bring out the worst in people. And then there's also people out there who are true conspiracy theorists who really believe that X, Y, and Z happened when really it was A, B, and C. How does the Port Authority PBA especially as a PIO, how do you deal with those who consistently say that 9-11 was an inside job and that the government knew that this was going to happen and they let it happen and all these people died because of whatever. They wanted Iraqi oil or whatever it was, right? How did, I mean, we all know that that's bullshit, right? But I could only assume that you guys must get bombarded with these types of questions and comments consistently on your social media pages. And how do you deal with that? Uh, you know, I also, unfortunately, had the social media dumped on me. Yeah. Uh, uh, in addition to dealing with the media, and I, uh, you know, I don't have any personal social media accounts. So that was a learning curve for me. Uh, but I, I, I recognize today the benefit of it. Uh, uh, it they're certainly ours are public platforms. There's no such thing as friends or this or that. Um, and, uh, you know, they're great platforms for getting the message out. And we do have a far reach. Uh, 
there uh, every once in a while I have to review comments and things like that. Uh, very rarely, we don't censor anything. Uh, if a person has a legitimate thing to say about law enforcement, about the Port Authority, PD, this or that, got to let it go. All right. Not going to censor that. Sometimes people get, it, it has to be censored. You know, it, it's, it's either racist or vulgar or something like that. Um, I don't answer any of those things. All right. Uh, when I've had discussions with uh, reporters and media about things like that, um, I say, listen, I, I don't know anything about conspiracies. I'm not a conspiracy theory guy. Uh, I know what happened. I was there. Um, I've uh, been to many funerals. Uh, I see uh, the two buildings that were there or no longer there. Um, I, you know, I deal with it in real time. Um, I don't know the politics behind it. I don't know. Listen, there are still conspiracies about Pearl Harbor. Okay. And that was what, 70 some odd years ago, more mm -hmm. than that. Um, this will happen no matter what. If, if Mary's child down the street uh, got hit by a car, God forbid, there's going to be conspiracies about that. It's deal with what is in front of you. And that's what a cop has to do. You deal with what's in front of you, all right, and then try to make the area safe. I'm not concerned with that other than I think it's nonsense. But um, but then again, people can think what they want to think. Yeah. You know, and uh, but I, uh, it's it's nothing that I I deal with. Right. I, I don't. It, I find it to be insulting. Yeah. That's not the issue. The issue is. 2,900 some odd people were dead. Mm -hmm. The social fabrics of these communities are forever altered. The little league coach is gone. The pastor is gone. You know, the, the, the volunteer firefighter is gone. Uh, um, that's the issue here. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great response. Yeah. Deal with what you have in front of you. Yeah. Don't worry about the, the other bullshit, the outside bullshit. Yeah. Deal with what you know and let everything else just play out as it is. Don't get involved. Yep. It's a great way to put it. And, <clears throat> I'm sure there's plenty of other, you know, cops and firefighters that are also PAOs for their departments and they're, they're listening to this right now. So I guess if that's kind of the takeaway is just deal what you have in front of you. Oh, that's it. it it's, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that helps a union PIO in law enforcement and any first responder agency, I can get to the person on the scene. All right. But one thing I try to tell the media is, yeah, I can get to the person on the scene. And that person is focused on what's right in front of him. You know, even if it's a simple car accident or something like that, you got one cop that's focused on this. You got another cop that's focused on this. You got another cop that's focused on this. And it's like any other scenario. You know, you, 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 you whisper something in the ear of person number one, and by the time it gets to 10, it's totally different. Well, when I'm dealing with two, uh, three or four cops on the same scene, they're all dealing with something different. So they all see different things, all right? And the person that's dealing with the people in the car, trying to get them out, that's what that person is, is concentrating. He has no idea what's going on around him. 
the other cops know that. So it, it, it's it's very compartmentalized, mm-hmm. uh, and and I'm sure your experience has been that too. Um, you, you go on a scene, and maybe you maybe it's your job. So you know you you're there. You you're the one who has to do the paperwork on it, and you're getting this and getting that. But there's a lot of things you're not even aware of because you're focused on this. That's it. Mm-hmm. But that's your job. That's your job. All right. And then you have to go to your brother and sister offices and, and get other information so you can, you know, do your narrative. Right. And so it's a, um, one of the things I want to get into is being a PIO for a law enforcement union um, is I've had to remind just about every reporter news outlet that uh, I've dealt with um, that, they honestly believe there's only two police departments in the country, the NYPD and the LAPD. None of the others, not even Chicago, registers for them. And I have to remind them and say, well, hold on a minute. There are approximately 18,000 police departments in this country. Everyone is doing the same job. They're basically all trained the same. Okay. It's, uh, it's, it's, you have to widen your scope to realize, you know, uh, police departments take care of an area. They don't take care of the whole country. Right. All right. So, uh, that, that's, was one of the things I had to overcome. And I just had to be open about that with the, uh, the, uh, the reporters I dealt with. And you know, they've all said, you know, I never thought of that. <laughs> I think that kind of even goes back to. If there's an incident, let's say in uh, Ferguson, an incident that has nothing to do with New York City or any other part of the country, but because it's one police officer who made a bad choice, all right, or or you know, let's say in Minnesota, let's say as a better example of a bad choice being made, every single police officer, every single city, county, town is now dealing with the outcome of that one specific incident, right? Uh, and I think that kind of brings to your point that we're all trained the same, you know, we're all on the same team per se, right? The thin blue line, we're all affected by one or the other, but we're all also individuals, right? And every department is an, is an individual and we all have different command staff and we have different populations that we serve. And the Port Authority is really, honestly, it, it, it's the same, but also very different than really any other agency because of the population you're serving is mostly transient. Oh yeah, yeah. the The average commuter coming into New York City each day, the chances of them dealing with a Port Authority cop are far greater than them dealing with a New York City cop. Right. They see us every day. Uh, we're the face of the Port Authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish the agency would understand that, but we're the face of the Port Authority, whether that be good or bad. Right. All right, because you know, you I believe to, it's good. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> but but the uh, um, uh, you know, you talk about agencies throughout the country. Uh, like when I worked in Manhattan at the Port Authority bus terminal, that was in the eighties and early nineties. And when I got in trouble, within within a few seconds, I had twenty five cops up my back. All right, uh, they always talk about urban policing being you know the most dangerous. Uh, it's a numbers game. To me, it's the cop in Podunk, Iowa, who's by himself and is covering how many square miles that's in the most danger. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. All right? 
And, and people don't realize that. And reporters don't realize that um, because they make movies about the NYPD and about the LAPD. Uh, they don't make movies about Podunk, Iowa. Mm -hmm. um, but that's but that cop has to. He's got to be on, uh, you know, on uh, by himself. Uh, you know, got to be on the ball all yeah. the time. Um, just uh, policing transportation facilities. Uh, um, I have a son out that lives in L.A. Uh, whenever I go out there, you never see a foot cop. And I have friends that are on the LAPD. They tell you, yeah, we have no foot posts whatsoever in the whole city. Uh, now you go to Midtown Manhattan, you can't go two feet without tripping over a cop. Um, the, uh, it gets a little bit more, uh, uh, exaggerated when you do transportation policing, because you're constantly, constantly surrounded by thousands of people and things explode around you. Uh, and that's, uh, our, our last, when we were talking before I, I spoke about confrontational policing. Uh, yeah, that, th there are times when you have to confront these things. It's not a radio job. It just explodes in front of you because you're constantly surrounded and you're by yourself. It's one thing about Port Authority. We don't work in partners. All right. You're by yourself. If you're assigned to, say, a terminal at Kennedy Airport, uh, thousands of people in that terminal, so many things going on, and you're the only cop there. That's it. That's your beat. You have bars, you have restaurants, you have thousands of people, you have uh, 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 domestic incidents going on, you have, uh, unfortunately, you have, you know, injuries, you have deaths, you have, a, you're the only cop, that's it. You get back up right away, of course, but uh, you, you have to be, it's a different way of policing. It's a totally different way of policing. Yeah, you're the sheriff of your little community. You're always, Just you're, you. You, that's it. You're, yeah. you're, you're the... Uh, the sheriff and uh, and and at an airline at at an, at an I'm sorry an airport, each terminal is a community unto itself. Mm -hmm. It has a downtown area. It has the bars. It has this. You're, you you got to clear out bars. You got bar fights. You got this. You got that. You got drunk different flights coming in from different parts of the world too. You know how many people die on airplanes? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. actually, how many people die on airplanes? It, it it's not an unusual thing. And uh, I remember toward the latter part of my career, uh, I was working on the inside, and the uh, the uh, the office I worked in uh, in the emergency garage in, in the command I worked in, uh, one right next to a bay where that's where they used to put the bodies waiting for the ME, you know, yeah. and 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 then you have to eat your dinner, you know, and 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 you got to deal, and you got this body decaying body next to you, and you, and you always knew when there's something in there because it just mm -hmm. morphed into where you were. Working. Every cop knows that. Every yeah. cop knows that smell. Yeah. Yet you still you're you're hungry, so yeah. you're next to a dead body, and listen, oh, you got to do what you got to do. You got to eat. It's the it's the smell. You of just death. get used to it. You just yeah. get used to it. Yeah, I remember. I you know I you know I write for American Police Beat, and I'm always writing about these little nuance things, mm -hmm. that, which I find very interesting. Uh, and and to give you an example, I wrote, uh, uh, you know, being a foot cop, I wrote a story called Keys. A lot of people say, what do you mean, Keys? What's well, the sound of the keys on the duty belt of the cops running to your aid? All right. And when I worked in Manhattan, every cop knew the sound of keys. Um, now, that's a very nuanced thing to write about. So, you, you know, you got to, but, but I wrote a whole story about yeah. that. And, uh, and then I also wrote, and you're going to understand this. Um, uh, an article which is going to be actually in next month's in May's police beat called Safety Pin. It's about 
a New York City style police badge. We don't have a hinged pin. It's a safety pin, the yep. same as your mother used to. Yeah. You uh, diaper, you know, back, uh, women up, and and such a nuanced thing. And but I wrote a whole story about it, and uh, and I started this story about happening in Police Week in 2020, 2002. I was walking through a lobby. I was an escort for one of our thirty uh, sevens families for the national service, and I'm walking through a hotel lobby. And I'm in my class A's. And a gathering of LA cops stopped me because they, you know, they're intrigued by the, you know, the New York City type uniform. And I got to admit, I, you know, I was intrigued by theirs because, you know, that's what you see on television all the time. They're form fitting, you know, uniforms and all that. And then one of them said, where's the safety pin? And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so I, I flipped open my blouse and, uh, I even had to explain that to them. Well, that's what we call it, a blouse. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And and they say, oh, my God. And they looked at it and they said, that's safety pin. Yeah, so so, uh, so I wrote a whole story about the, the safety story. pin yeah, and safety how, pin. How, how it never leaves you. And it's the attachment. Right. You know? And and then I ended the story by saying uh, the woman I was escorting, they never found her husband's body. Mm. Uh, what they did find was his shield. With the safety pin still attached. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, wow. so burn through, unfortunately, yeah. everything else, but the yeah. safety pin. Now, New York City area cop would know the safety pin. Yeah. No one else in the country would. So I wrote it, and it's, you know, being a national publication, and, uh, and, but here, LA cops, they wanted to see the safety pin. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're getting towards the end of the podcast. The last thing that we always ask our guests to do is to bring an item with them that uh. they want to display. <laughs> to our viewers uh, and then we're going to discuss it briefly and then we're going to add it to our collection of what will once or soon to hopefully be our living museum. So what did you bring for, uh, for well, us? Well, I, I didn't know what to bring. Uh, I retired 10 years ago, so I don't even know where any of my stuff is anymore. <laughs> but what I brought was uh, this folder that uh, explains the Port Authority police patches. We have two patches, a different one on each sleeve. Uh, one is the traditional patch. Okay. Okay. Port Authority Police, New York and New Jersey. And then the other one is what we call our memorial patch. And that's as a result of September 11th. And as you see on there, we have the uh, facsimile of the World Trade Center with the flag flying over it. Uh Number 37 at the bottom of the towers, that represents the 37 police off, uh, Port Authority cops killed, and, and the date, 9-11-01. So uh, the Port Authority packs, pack, pack, packages these in a folder. Uh, Port Authority uh, police, you open it up, has the two patches in there. Uh, and then it also explains the color scheme, the, the significance of the colors, the significance on the memorial patch and the regular patch. Um uh, uh, the reason I have these as the PIO, I get a lot of requests for these as the department does too. And, uh, and whenever I need more, I just contact special services and they're more than happy to send me to any supply I need. And we will always send these out to people. So uh, I figured this might be a nice thing to bring you. I think so. I think and it's a great uh, thing. I, I would like to sign it for you. Absolutely. And uh, so if I had a pen, which I don't. I'm a good PIO. <laughs> we, we will, we will get a, we'll get a pen before you leave here and you'll, you'll right. sign that for Very us. Well. We'll, but uh, uh, I thought this would be appropriate. That's fantastic. And yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna take out – this is – I'm not saying this because you're here. This is truly my 
well, I guess I'll say my second favorite patch. One being, of course, the NYPD patch. Yeah, right. My own. This is my second favorite patch uh, out of any patch that uh, I've ever seen in law yeah. enforcement, and I've seen some really cool ones. But this patch in particular, with the trade center in the background, or trade centers in the background, and the, the American flag, and of course, number thirty-seven, it, it just means so much, especially to all of us here in the New York City metropolitan area. That I think it's just such a cool, badass representation oh, yeah. of uh, of all the lives that we lost that day, and uh, as as a memory of to why we still do what we do. And honestly, the reason I even became a cop in the first place, 9-11 had such a huge impact. I was only in sixth grade when it happened. And uh, I became a volunteer firefighter and then an EMT and then eventually a police officer. And it, a lot of it is because of 9-11 and, and what I witnessed firsthand. So uh, I, yeah, truly, truly love this patch. And um, what we're going to have you do now is, there you go, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Giving sure. it a little signature. The, uh, the other thing I forgot to mention is, uh, is a story of the PAPD on the back. Oh, fantastic. Too. So the, I, I, I got to say the department did a great job. Yeah, I, I agree. So I'm going to sign this. I'm just going to sign my name. And uh, hold on. And we're going to sell this on eBay. That's that's <laughs> it. <laughs> and uh, you can also put out today's date as well if you want. I am. Awesome. And while you do that, again, a huge, huge shout out to the Port Authority PBA, the Port Authority Police Department, um, Frank Conti, president of the PBA, who is a good friend of ours, and uh, hopefully we'll be seeing him soon um, as well. We'd love to get him on the podcast. So if you could uh, let him know that we're, we'd love to have him on. And um, I think we're going to be visiting uh, the Port Authority again uh, in July. In the end of July, we're going to be flying in five families uh, of officers that were seriously injured in the line of duty. I think we're going to give them a tour of uh, the Trade Center and the 9-11 Museum. So we always get Port Authority involved when we do that. Plus, of course, when we fly them into JFK, they always are there to sure. help out. Um, what's today's date? <laughs> uh, today's the what? Today's the 16th? 17th. 17th. 4-17. Fantastic. All right, Bobby. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks Truly so much. For I hope me. you enjoyed it. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Any last words? Uh, yeah, I just, you know, uh, we're the good guys. No matter what anybody says, we're the good guys. Uh, I, I write stories for American Police Beat. Uh, I, in, in some of the stories, when I, when I have to get into this, uh, the climate of the anti, you know, the anti-police climate, you know, I usually say something like, you know, law enforcement officials throughout the country are scratching their heads saying, what the hell are they talking about? You know, there is such a misconception of who police officers are and what their job is. It's, it's, we're, we're, we're no different than anybody else. We have families, we have fears, we have anxieties. We have, you know, I used to show up on a scene of uh, uh, people in, in, in distress and they see me and right away, they think everything's better. They didn't realize that I'm shaking inside. Mm -hmm. All right. Like I, you know, I got to handle this. Um, and you try to do the best you can and to, to paint us all with the broad brush, uh, because, uh, uh, someone, uh, an officer somewhere did something wrong or is perceived. And most of the time it's perceived to have done something wrong. It affects all of us. And, and what that does is it, it, it creates this buffer between the police and the public that shouldn't be there. You know, it, it's like, like raising your own children. 
you know, now that I have grandchildren, it's a whole different dynamic because the one thing that kept you from really enjoying your children is fear. All right. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. You know, with, with, with grandchildren, it's unconditional love because let their parents worry about the fear thing. Well, that's the way it is with police officers. You know, people, they've created this fear, the, 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 uh, the, the squeaky wheels, uh, that, that, uh, put the cop on the defense. All cops really want to do is go out and embrace the community and help them and talk about what's going on. That would make communities so much stronger, so much stronger, so much more. Uh, um, th- that's a great crime prevention tool is just having the cop there and the community together. I wish people would understand that. I just wish that. And, and, and we always know the squeaky wheel is going to get the oil. But I think it's time for that to, to change somewhat. I think the PBAs across the nation, the FOPs across the nation, need to start speaking out more. Yes, I think that's what, and I know you guys certainly do it. Uh, I know ours from from the city certainly does it. Patty Lynch is an amazing yeah, spokesman. We just for signed that. an awesome contract, but we'll get into that another time. <laughs> um, uh, again, Bobby, thank you so much. I think it's a great way to, to, to end it. Um, let, let's do this again sometime. Let's get I, you and Frank on, and let's definitely. let's talk more about the PBA. Certainly look forward to it. Awesome. Thanks again, Bobby. Really appreciate it. Again, another episode of The Muscle Room. Uh, Hope to see all of you soon. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, stay tuned for more episodes. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It goes a long way to getting us discovered by more listeners just like you. If you'd like to leave a question or message that we can play on air, hit the Record Now button on our website. This show was hosted by Eric Potts and Austin Glickman and produced by me, Joseph Ryder. The Muster Room Podcast is a production of Law Enforcement Officers Weekend, a 501c3 nonprofit aiming to aid the families of killed and injured members of the law enforcement community nationwide. Be sure to follow us on social media at The Muster Room and at LEO underscore weekend. Visit us on our website at www.themusterroom.com for full transcripts, a video version of this episode, and all of our previous episodes. Until next time, have a great day and stay safe.